Okay, we're looking at um, God's Word, 1 John chapter, one, um, chapter 2, verse 18. 1 John 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, if you're looking at it um, in your Bibles, in your hands, then you'll want to keep that open because John, as straightforward as he is, sometimes he can be a little confusing too. And we'll be breaking down what he has said and um, trying to come to a good understanding. And we're going to do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray that he would indeed help us. Father, thank you for this word to us. Thank you for the assurance that it is. Help us all to be able to discover that for ourselves as you speak to us through this word and even through me, but through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe you've heard this, that humans have the attention span of goldfish, right? Now, um, I I don't know how they came up with that and how that data was derived, but uh, the latest, as of July of this year, shows that the average human attention span is 8.25 seconds. And um, the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. (laughs) So our our attention span, if anything, is less than that of a goldfish. In fact, it's gone down four seconds since the year 2000. More depressing than that, though, is that the average audience attention span is like eight to ten minutes. Okay, That means I'm in trouble, (laughs) right? (laughs) Well, um, thankfully, um, you guys are not average, all right? Let's put it that way. And, but more than that, thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit to help us, right? You know, the pace of life has sped up. It's not slowing down for anyone. We're being flooded with information and visual stimulation. We're endlessly distracted, and so it has affected our focus. Has that affected our faith, too? You bet it has. But let me try to ask that or come at that a different way, a parallel way. Do you sometimes feel like 
you are lacking in spiritual focus. Do you feel like sometimes it's just hard to focus spiritually? Like in your soul, you feel like it's kind of a chaotic mess. Um, most of the aspects of our faith, it's not like really capturing your attention. You don't know like what doctrine to hang on to, what's really going to help you. And in your heart, you're feeling a little erratic. Are we lacking a bit of spiritual focus? And, you know, there might be some unease. You, you feel it, and yet you power on because of life and all of its responsibilities. You know, Thoreau said of uh, men that they lead lives of quiet desperation. But in our day and age, men or, or women, anyone, it seems like we are leading lives of quiet disorganization in our souls. You want it to be different, but you're not sure how nor how to get it. What, what can we do? You know, sometimes suffering can shake things up for us, right? God grabs your attention that way, doesn't he? But who wants to learn the hard way? <laughs> it's never a good recipe, even though it is a very common way that God works. But then how about a good fight? Maybe a good fight will rattle us and grab our attention, shake things up for us. I'm not talking about, you know, throwing blows, but like a controversy where you can't ignore something. You have to deal with it. Work out what you really believe and what really matters. Usually in social circles, it happens when friends fight and you have to pick a side. Hopefully you don't have to pick a side, but you have to work out, okay, what do these people mean to me? Um, that's what today's passage is about, a controversy. And there's nothing more controversial than talking about the Antichrist. Maybe you picked up on that in our passage, right? But we'll see that the Antichrist, that's not the main thing. But it will get us to refocus on what is the main thing. And what is that main thing? Well, let me try asking it a, a different way or saying it a different way. What if I told you that life, all of life, was about discovering who your master is? All of life is about discovering who your master is. Like... That is the focus of every person's soul. That is why all of our hearts are restless. We're trying to work out who our master is. Let us forget that poem, the Invictus poem, right? How does that poem end? I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. No, that is a farce. That is silly hubris. And it's because there are greater powers at work over us. And our own soul's unsettled state. It's really about this. Trying to work out. Who is the master? We keep thinking we are the, the superhero. The action superhero of our story. <laughs> but we're really learning to find. And to look to. The true hero. And the controversy that we're going to be looking at is forcing us to keep the hero as the main thing. What is that? What is that controversy? What's the main thing? Well, let's see from our passage, and hopefully it will help us to increase our spiritual focus and keep our soul's attention. First heading is the people of the age, the people of the age. Look at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. 
and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Right there, there's the controversy. It is about the Antichrist, or rather, as John puts it, the Antichrists. You see how John made that? There's a distinction there. You know, when you think about the Antichrist, we're thinking about um, all those vivid pictures from Revelation, right? The 666, the mark of the beast, all that kind of stuff. You know, the 666, it, it represents, a, 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 it's a threefold six. And it signifies a grotesque monster. It didn't go through a normal and full development. The six did not make it to the seven. You know, seven is completion. Six is less than complete. And when you do it three times, it's intensified. And so we're talking about this hideous, disfigured beast who's the incarnation of the devil, really. But John's not talking about that antichrist of the end time. He's talking about antichrists. He says that many have already come back in his day in the first century church, right? So who are these antichrists? They'd be false teachers who would sway people away from Jesus. The church had to deal with them, and that's why John would clarify in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Okay? There were false teachers teaching something that would take people away from Jesus, and in a very specific way, as we'll see. And that was a really big deal. So big that John called them antichrists. What was this false teaching? Verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Right there, okay? The false teachers were denying that Jesus is the Christ. He may have been a good teacher. He may have been divine in some unique way and for a time. But the divine son of the father from all eternity, he was not. That would be the deadliest of errors. And John makes clear why. Did you pick up on what John wrote? He says, if you deny the son, then you're denying the father as well, right? Deny that Jesus is the Christ, and you deny, that the, you deny the father as well as the son. John spells it out even further, verse 23. No one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the Father also. He puts it negatively, he puts it positively. He repeats it so that there is no misunderstanding. The right view of the Son is the key to the Father. If you get the Son wrong, you get everything wrong. Why is that? Well, just broadly speaking, we'll go into more depth as to the importance of the Son, but first, just broadly, the Son was the Father's plan. Okay? And so if you deny the Son, then you're basically denying everything that the Father thought was necessary for salvation. Okay? You'd basically be saying, in my estimation, the Father's work was not that brilliant. Good, okay, but meh. But the will of the Father and the Son, it would be so united that the Father, he sent the Son, and in order for you to have the Father, you needed the Son. It's just as simple as that, right? So the Antichrist was denying the Son and what the Son did according to the Father's plan. And all of that would have to do with the last hour. 
Remember verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. What is this last hour about? It it's, has to do with language about what Jesus did in ushering a whole new age where life as we know it has changed. Okay? We're talking like real significant change. More significant than like going from horse and buggy to car. You know, the Industrial Revolution, it brought about uh, like drastic changes in society, didn't it? It introduced a whole new age to the world where by an idea and an invention, you know, millions of people were moved. People went from farms to coastal mills and factories. 12 million people sailed over from Europe to the States all from this idea of mass production and manufacturing. Cities were formed, cultures were transformed. Young ones, there's your history lesson for the day, right? But as big as, and as sweeping as those changes were from the Industrial Revolution, what Jesus brought about was even bigger. It doesn't even really compare. It's just that because we can't see it, it doesn't seem like it was that big of a deal. But John talked about it previously in, in, in um, earlier in chapter 2, verse 8. He said that the darkness is passing away. A huge change. The darkness was still present, but the light was already shining. He said in verse 17 that the world is passing away. We'd still be in the world but, and dealing with its fallen effects. But because of Jesus, something new has come. The old is passing on. And the appearance of these antichrists. These, this opposition to Jesus, it signified that it was all coming to an end soon, what John calls the last hour. There was a shift change. But it wasn't like one coming to an end and then another one starting where there's a clear cut. It was an overlapping time, a transition. Maybe you've heard it be called the now and the not yet. One's coming to an end and Christ has come, and he is bringing eternal life in his kingdom. Where we have eternal life now, actually, but it's in this world with Jesus spiritually. It's like a long-distance marriage, but eternal life would be fully realized in heaven when we're face-to-face -face with Jesus and finally together. This is the last hour. The old is passing on, the new has come. And so I wonder if, that's, if you now start to see why the Antichrists were such a big deal. The Antichrists were trying to keep people from entering into this new age with Christ. But it was their false teaching, and they did it in a terrible way. It was like setting a house on fire and then barricading the doors to the house so that people couldn't get out. Keeping people from being saved. But we're in a whole new age. Do we realize that? And it all depends on who your master is. Is it Christ or Antichrist? There are only two options. We are not one of them. If anything, the Antichrist would try to convince you that you are one of them. You are the legitimate, legitimate master. But it is all a lie. All right, so there we go. And just very briefly, a simple takeaway. 
The controversy of the Antichrist would get us to focus on the real Christ and his kingdom age, the story that we're a part of when we belong to Jesus. Do you want the chaos in your souls to subside? Do you want the restlessness in your heart to come to peace? Well, fix your eyes upon Jesus. It is as simple and as straightforward as that. Tell yourself, I want to get to know Jesus. And it's going to start with his word because that's the only way you're going to get to know someone better. You're going to only find out about a person, what they're like, what they think, what they've experienced when they share something with you, when they reveal something to you. And that's what Jesus has done in his word. Focus on Jesus, his life, his words, his works. Connecting it with last week, do not love the things of the world. Do not love the world or the things of it, but instead love Jesus and stay on that path. It's not that complicated. And we'll see how we can do that some more in the next point. But again, simple, straightforward, but not that easy, right? Here's the bottom line truth that we need to know. We need Jesus, and we need Jesus more than we need any problem in our life to be solved. That's how much we need Jesus. We need Jesus, we need Jesus more than we need any of our problems to be solved. There we go. That's our first point. We're the people of the age, but which age? Secondly, how do we get protection from this problem? Problem, the antichrists, the false teaching that denied that Jesus was the long-awaited promised Messiah who appeared in the flesh. Okay? And so what is the protection that John provides that he reminds us, the church, about? Two things, the apostolic gospel tradition and the anointing of the Spirit of God. Both would get us to focus on Jesus, that he appeared in the flesh. Look at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who's the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Okay? What we need to know to protect ourselves against the Antichrist first is the apostolic gospel tradition. John reassures the church, you know the truth. You have all the knowledge that you need. You know that Jesus is the Christ. Why do we need to know that? Why is that such a significant thing, that Jesus appeared in the flesh? Well, this would be the most public and necessary event in all of human history after the creation. Jesus coming into the world as a man. Okay? That is what the apostles testified to. And John is saying, you know all of this. And he says that because he's trying to say that you don't need a secret knowledge that these false teachers are bringing. They're the elites that they think they only have, they, only they have access to the truth. But no, this is news for everyone, anyone and everyone to hear about. Remember, that was the false teaching that um, the church had to deal with in John's day. A secret knowledge was only for a select few. No, Jesus was the most public human figure in all of history. Jesus in the flesh. That's what it's about. Making sure we understand that Jesus came in the flesh. 
in John 6, he would even say to the, he would go to the point and say, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. All to make clear that he really did come in the flesh and we really needed to receive him. Jesus in the flesh. You know, that's the Christmas story, right? And why was the Christmas story so important? Well, let's go through the Jesus story, not the secular version of Christmas, but what the Father's plan was. Why did Jesus need to come in the flesh? Why is that so important for us? Well, Jesus came from the Father. He entered the fallen world from the glory of heaven, right? Not just that. He had to live the perfect life to identify with the people so that he could be the exact substitution that for the people he would save. He had to die the perfect death that all sinners deserved but were spared because his death substituted for the believer. Right? And he was raised by the Father to prove that the devil's power was neutralized, that death was overturned, that the sentence of condemnation was lifted. And not just that, not, not only did he just rise from the dead, he had, to be, he had to ascend into heaven and return to the Father to show that he was fully accepted by the Father, who then would bestow on the Son all authority over creation above all powers. You know, Christmas, that would be all about God with us, right? Good Friday and Easter would be God for us. And Pentecost would be God in us. All because Jesus came in the flesh. The apostles testified to Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, and that would be the good news for the whole world. Basically, the only way to the Father would be through the Son, whom the Father sent. And the only way to the Son would be the apostles, whom Jesus sent. Verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. Let's just flesh that out a little bit more. Why would Jesus in the flesh, testified to by the apostles, why would that be the only way? Now, please pay attention, folks, because this question, what we're dealing with, is what our Reformed theology is all about. Why did Jesus have to come in the flesh? Why would that be the only way? This is showing us just how sovereign our God is. See, the answer would be that there is no other way for our sin and God's judgment on our sin to be removed except for what God did for us. You know, we read it in our Isaiah reading, verse 1 and 2, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What could Israel do to, bring, to close that separation? What could any man do to heal that break in the relationship? Well, it'd be verse 16, Isaiah 59, 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. See that? Only God could intercede on our behalf, and he did so through the advocate Jesus, who was the propitiation for our sins. 
That is the apostolic gospel. That's what the apostles saw. They lived with Jesus. They saw him die. They saw him rise again. They saw him ascend into heaven. And that apostolic gospel testimony, that is what is announced to the whole world. In, In a moment, we'll be confessing the Apostles' Creed. And that is to declare our solidarity with the apostles who bring us to Jesus, who brings us to the Father, and who then the Father would bring us together. What is our good news? God did what no man could do, save us. And that is one of the greatest protections that we have, one of the greatest assurances and encouragements. It is not on us. It is simply for us to trust in the apostolic gospel. I wonder if we see the awesome and glorious sufficiency of the gospel in our lives. That's our first point of protection. The second point of protection, verse 20. Look at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. The knowledge was the apostolic gospel. Secondly, you have been anointed by the Holy One. Because of this anointing, we believe that Jesus was and is the Christ. You know that word Christ? Do you know what that means? Do we think it's Jesus' last name? Right? Christ is from the Greek Christos which is a translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointing or smearing. See, because in the Old Testament, the prophets, priests, and kings were all anointed with oil when they took office to symbolize that God's spirit was upon them. But Jesus, he was the anointed one, the Messiah, and that took on a special meaning because they were waiting for the, the promised king the deliverer of God's peoples. So Jesus was the Christ, the, the, the Messiah, the anointed king. And what would Jesus do? He would anoint his subjects and empower them. And it wasn't with oil. It was with the spirit of God. The spirit of Jesus, I mean the spirit of Jesus, it rested on him at his baptism. And the spirit would rest on every believer through the symbolism of our own baptisms. We have been anointed by the Holy One, the Spirit of God. That's what verse 26 says. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but, his anoint- but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We find great comfort in this, knowing that the sheep here the shepherd's voice, right? And that's because of the Spirit's anointing. Again, this too was all prophesied and expected from the Old Testament. Isaiah 59, verse 21. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of, your mouth, out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. He's talking about the Messiah. He'd have the word and the spirit. And that word and spirit would be passed on to the offspring. Now there, John's not saying, um, you don't need to be taught anything in our passage. He's just saying that in the context of false teaching. No, we have the apostles' teaching. Jesus came in the flesh. We understand all of that only because of the Spirit who helps us to understand 
this word. Maybe you've heard of the name David Bennett, most likely not. David Bennett, he was a man in, um, known in transplantation medicine because he was the first recipient of a whole pig heart. Okay. Um, his name popped up because there was a second transplant patient, and he made news this past week. And the reason why he made news, the second um, patient, is because um, he died just like David Bennett. Two months, six weeks. They needed new hearts, but not pig ones. They needed Jesus' heart, the kind that only the Spirit could give so that we would actually come to hear Jesus, trust Jesus, and love Jesus. That's what the Spirit did for believers. There's our spiritual protection that would settle us and point us to our good master the Holy Spirit who teaches us the word, helps us to believe it, who shows us that our spiritual reality is based on the historical fact of Jesus in the flesh. John Stott would write in his commentary, the word is the objective safeguard, while the anointing of the spirit is the subjective experience. But both the apostolic teaching and the heavenly teacher are necessary for continuance in the truth. And both are to be personally and inwardly grasped. This is the biblical balance which is too seldom preserved. Some honor the word and neglect the spirit who alone can interpret it. Others honor the spirit but neglect the word out of which he teaches. The only safeguard against lies is to have remaining with us both the word that we have heard from the beginning and the anointing that we receive from him. It is by these old possessions not by new teachings or teachers that we shall remain in the truth. There's the summary for us for this passage. Let me move on to application briefly. You know, life is about discovering who our real master is. It's either Jesus or the Antichrist. So would we abide in Christ by his spirit? Because he's the one who settles our souls. He's the one who gives us true eternal rest. And he's the one who gives us a proper longing for more of him. Trust the, the word of Christ and the spirit of Christ. We never move on from him or veer away from him. Because the people who do move on, those are the ones who went out from us because they were not of us. You being here at church today, this is a huge sign. You know, I'm telling people always that our Sunday practice of honoring the Sabbath, one in seven, coming out to church, that's part of the new age, and that's how our lives are lived from here till eternity, one in seven. It's part of the new age that Jesus has brought. And when you're here, you know, you may not be gushing with excitement or joy, but what matters is that you're here and that this is what real love, tough and gritty love looks like. Showing up, setting your hearts to worship the Father, Son, and Spirit through the apostolic gospel. Now, of course, loving Jesus is more than just showing up for church, but you also don't want to be the one who went out from us, right? I'm sure all of us know that friend or that family member seemed like they were pro-Jesus but has since fallen away. We hope and pray for their return. 
One author writes about a church that he visited, and in front of him sat a husband and wife. The husband, like throughout the whole service, seemed so distracted. He was engaging, trying to deal with, um, work with the service, but he was always looking at the door, you know, um, as if he, he was trying to get out, he was trying to leave. And so the author at, went up to the pastor afterwards and asked about that couple because it was just like right in his face. And it turns out that um, the husband was the father of a wayward daughter. She said that she was going to come back to the family and come back to God. She's going to show up at church. That's what he was waiting for. His distraction was just eager anticipation that she would come out to church. The author quoted another author that the sorrows for the living are often greater than the sorrows for the dead. You know what, you know what that means, right? Neither is easy. But all you can do is hope for the living while there is still a chance. You know, I don't think any of us would think that that's going to be us in the future, that I would be the one that kind of wanders and perhaps leaves. That's not going to be me. That's not going to be anyone I love. How do we make sure of that? Walk with Jesus daily, acknowledging his presence and his relationship with you. You know, he's always been there. And maybe this is something that we need to recognize as well and start seeing it a different way. You know, some of us have had near-death experiences. Others of us have had like these miracles where God shows up, right? And then we think, okay, so like, you know, I have a guardian angel or I have this God moment or something along those lines. No, God has always been with us. Jesus is always with us by his spirit. And now we're being pushed to acknowledge his presence always. And again, it's going to happen in a, a most beautiful way as we take part in communion in just a moment. Where we're reminded that he truly has come. He truly is with us. And we can truly be with him. We're going to hear. We've heard about. And now we're going to experience the drama of Jesus in our midst where this truth is reinforced for all of us. Just like how the apostles, they saw, they heard, they touched the word of life. And that is what we're going to do through these mere symbols of bread and wine. We spiritually are taking part in hearing and touching and seeing the Lord Jesus who invites us to dine with him in the supper. Communion with God. He is our master and that is our story. So let's pray. God, sometimes we don't need a real special word. Sometimes we just need this really simple word. And so we pray, oh God, that you would help us focus on Jesus, the Son. As we do so, may he bring rest to our restless hearts. Assure us that we know and that we abide in Christ by his word and by the Holy Spirit's anointing. 
would you, even in your grace and kindness, help us to feel the Spirit, to know that he is real and that he is with us. May our time of communion, the Lord's Supper, help us in that way. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them for us to be the body and blood of Christ, that we may be assured and strengthened of your presence, and that we would be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.